Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. Before we get into today's conversation, I just wanted to take a moment to talk to all of you who are teachers uh, and parents a little bit about the Circe Atrium program. If you're interested in continuing your own uh, exploration into classical education, to prepare yourself to teach your own children uh, and the students in your class, I just want to talk to you about the opportunity. If you're looking for something where there's a guide and maybe a cohort of others to read with and talk with, uh, Cersei has five options that meet twice a month. Our oldest and kind of central atrium is based around David Hicks' educational treatise, Norms and Nobility. Uh, it is kind of a foundational document for Cersei and one that you can pour over and over without exhausting it, but is always better to do in community uh, so you can ask questions and, and talk to each other about it. Um, so if you're interested in that one, it, it is available. We also offer four other uh, leader-led cohorts, one on uh, Shakespeare, one on Plato, one on Dante, and then one just investigating the great ideas this year. Uh, I've taken part in in the Plato one myself. If you're interested in those, uh, I highly suggest you check out uh, more details at searcyinstitute.com backslash atrium, or you can write Andrea Lipinski for more information. And if you do join the atrium and decide that one year isn't enough and you want to be part of the apprenticeship after that, you will also receive a $250 discount on tuition for the apprenticeship. So please check those out. Um, they've been so helpful for so many educators over the years. Um, and it's just a really great way to kind of dip your dip into some adult education on classical education for yourself. Um, so please check those out. And I will put those links in the show notes. That brings us uh, to our guest today. I'm very excited uh, to introduce to you uh, Dr. Albert Chang. I've had the opportunity to to meet uh, with Albert a couple of times at different events over the last few years, uh, hear from him and, and about the work he's doing. Uh, Albert is an assistant professor in the Department of Education Reform and the director of the Classical Education Research Lab at the University of Arkansas. Um, he teaches courses there in education policy and philosophy, and he researches the effects of classical education on character formation. He's also a senior fellow at CARDIS, which we'll get into a little bit, and an affiliate research fellow at the Program on Education Policy and Governance at Harvard University. Dr. Chang serves on the governing board of Anthem Classical Academy uh, and on the editorial board of the International Journal of Christianity and Education. He taught high school math in California uh, near his hometown. He's an undergraduate in mathematics from the University of California at Berkeley. He has a master's degree in education from Biola University, as well as a PhD in education policy from the University of Arkansas. So I'm very excited. Uh, thank you for being with us, Albert. Hey, great to be here, Brandon. Um, so I'll, I'll be honest, my kind of my uh, background in kind of the research that's been going on in classical education just dates back a few years to to the Cardiff study, something I didn't know anything about until um, the classical education world kind of kind of got involved with it. Uh, if you could maybe just explain to our audience a little bit about who Cardiff is, what they were already doing, and then kind of what happened a few years ago with some stuff with classical education there. Yeah, sure. So uh, CARDIS is a nonpartisan uh, faith-based think tank based in Canada, and uh, they um, do a lot of research um, and get involved um, in policy, public policy discourse um, for a number of issues, a number of social issues, um, and education being one of them. Um, and their mantra really is about building um, institutions that support and promote 
the the common good um, are are flourishing, right? And so, um, of course, education is is one of these areas. And so, it's uh, over a decade ago now. I mean, I'd say close to fifteen years where they launched uh, the first ever uh, Cardis Education Survey. Um, and the goal of that was to essentially empirically document hey, how are graduates of um, different types of schools uh, faring in their adulthood now. And so, you know, the idea was to put some measurement into um, the effects of people that attend Christian schools, um, Catholic schools, your regular public uh, district schools, um, or, or other independent, non-faith-based uh, private schools. And so, um, yeah, they've been doing that for 15 years. Um, first iteration was, was done with uh, a nationally representative sample of U.S. adults. They, they did Canada as well. I recently did um, administer the Cardis Education Survey in Australia, and so we were getting um, uh, really broad um, snapshots of, hey, what happens to to uh, students um, years after they they finish their schooling across these sectors? And you know, we want to document the differences and uh, really convey, hey, how are these graduates now contributing to the common good? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess you asked about, you know, how did how did the classical education world get involved? And so I, I think a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the Good Soil Report. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I understand, I wasn't involved with that, but as, as I understand it, um, uh, essentially what, uh, you know, a colleague of mine and, and some other folks, uh, you know, they took CARDIS data and then um, I think it was like ACCS uh, surveyed some of their graduates, asked them the same types of questions. And so what that allowed for uh, was the possibility of breaking out, uh, you know, what do what do ACCS, ACCS graduates look like uh, relative to, to other graduates? Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, some pretty interesting things came back from that. Maybe even things that would be even unexpected for people in the in the classical education world. Kind of some of the areas the students were, fared well in, um, mm-hmm. in particular. So, um, your own experience is kind of coming through this uh, first teaching, and then now obviously you head up uh, a lot of research there at the University of Arkansas. Could you kind of walk us through kind of your journey there, and then and the work that's being done? Um, uh, at, at the University University of Arkansas as well. Yeah, um, sure. So, uh, as you said in the introduction, I was a former high school math teacher. Um, so, what I decided to do with my math major, um, pure math, by the way. So, I didn't do any applied right. stuff. Uh, now I'm doing all applied stuff, pure <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I taught high school at, at a local public school um, uh, near my hometown in California. Um, did that for a few years and eventually went back to grad school, got interested in policy, thought I could uh, make an impact um, in other ways besides just being a classroom teacher, um, although nothing against that. I mean, we need good classroom teachers everywhere. Yeah, so I went to Biola, did a master's in their uh, school of education uh, for two years. And uh, I got to give credit to uh, it. I took a moral philosophy class with Dr. David Horner there. Excellent. Um, and I think that semester pretty much uh, set me on the path that I am on today. Um, uh, I, I think up to that point, um, I kind of intuited like something's off about just educational paradigms, you know, paradigms of modernity. And, and that class, I think, was my first serious 
engagement with um, texts like Nicomachean Ethics, mm-hmm. um, C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man. Uh, you know, I came across, you know, that's when I first heard about who Charles Taylor was or Alistair McIntyre, you know, all these folks yeah, yeah. Um, commentating on, on modernity and, and the, the shift that's happened since um, everything before, right? And so um, really, I think that that gave me a lot of, you know, it's kind of the lights, light bulb went off. Um, and it just helped me understand and put language um, to, I think, what I was intuiting. And uh, really, um, I think, catalyzed my interest in studying character formation. Hmm. Um, and so eventually after the master's, uh, program, I, uh, came here to the university of Arkansas, did the PhD in, in, in ed policy, uh, doing a lot of research in school choice generally. Um, so, you know, studied voucher programs, um, uh, and, and with, you know, the, the, the attention to thinking about how character outcomes are, are changed, um, hmm. how do, how do, how does attending, different kinds of private schools shape character differently. Um, so, you know, I did, did that for a few years. I actually ran with um, a lot of mainstream social scientists, um, you know, because at the same time, psychologists uh, uh, were getting into this space. Um, so all the, the talk you hear about social emotional learning these days in your, your traditional school school districts, um, you know, was, was involved with work there. Um, uh, you know, positive psychology, right? It's kind of the, the, the main kind of mainstream thing. Now you, um, you hear things like growth mindset, grit, you know, all, all these kinds yes. of, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of terms, non-cognitive skills or whatever you want to call these. There's so many names for these now, um, studied, you know, the, those kinds of things. I mean, economists, uh, did their thing as well. So I, I did a lot of research, um, kind of in that tradition, if you will, um, and then, uh, you know, it came to a point where I thought, you know, like the way modern social scientists think about this isn't really how I think about how, how I believe it really works, um, you know, hmm. and, and I'm like, you know, I got to get back to like, you know, some of these these classical roots. Like, I really think the way virtue formation is more akin to what, you know, McIntyre and Aristotle and, you know, these these uh, kind of classic ancient thinkers thought about it. And so, um uh started to kind of get back into the classical space. And then, you know, of course, what, what was happening at the same time was uh the renewal, right? The classical renewal that we're we're in the middle of today. And um at the same time, I was getting into that space and I realized that wow, like no one's doing empirical work to study and evaluate this. Um uh, you know, we really need to bring some data to bear and bring some evidence. Um, you know, I believe this stuff. We can make a more, even more compelling case and um, even inform, uh, you know, how we can do teaching and learning better um, by doing some empirical research. And so I decided, like, all right, I'm going to jump into the space. Um, you know, I'm going to contribute my gifts to the movement that way and study it. Um, so started the lab about uh, two years ago and um, been doing a lot of research work related to that ever since. Yeah. I think that was about the time I met you, uh, was just yeah. a little bit after that got started. So yeah. Uh, I think for a lot of us in classical education, um, you know, like what, like what you were saying, I think this virtue information, like we've, we like, yeah, we know this is what has worked for thousands of years, but, uh, yeah. to, uh, 
uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little hat tip to Christopher Perrin here when we were discussing <laughs> this. It came up a couple of years ago and he's like, yeah, it's, we've known this is what to do, but it's nice to have the data <laughs> yeah, to back yeah, it up. Yeah. So um, it's, uh, I, 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 I am interested in that. So I know that especially this year, kind of a lot of things have started to kind of come to a head. There's been some, some reports that were put out. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've been working closely with the school where you're on the board there in, in Arkansas, yep. really doing some observational stuff on the ground. Yep. And then there's been some pushback on it, you know, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could kind of talk about as things have started to kind of really come out of the research that you, in, yeah. the, in, the, in these last, what, six to nine months, really starting to kind of publish or, or announce yeah. some of these things. So what's your finding, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you could check out our, our website, as you know, Google Classical Education Research Lab, University of Arkansas, you'll find us. I'll put all these links um, in there for everybody. Yeah, great. Yeah, and really, so we, you know, we've been doing two types of research. Um, one is to simply uh, describe the state of classical education. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think this is like the, the perennial question, or at least for now, <laughs> you know, we, we meet and a bunch of leaders meet at, at our at our national conferences and how big's the movement and what's happening, uh, what do school leaders need, you know, and um, and so part part of the work um, is to simply get a pulse on what the state of things are. And so, um, well, you know, one of the re- reports we released was um, uh, trying to address, so how big is the growth, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have all these anecdotes of individual school leaders saying like, wow, you know, my enrollment's just skyrocketing. I'm getting so many inquiries from parents. Um, and so, you know, the question is, well, can we, uh, can we just kind of get a sense of what that is generally, right? Because every school leader is going to have their anecdote but can we get a, a broader view to see how true it is? Because, um, I mean, it's possible, right, that the anecdotes you hear um, uh, don't generalize, right? And so uh, in that report, what we did was we um, essentially estimated the, the, or, you know, kind of quantified really the growth of uh, classical charter schools in Texas. Okay. Um, and so that data is, you know, easily available. I mean, the, the Texas Education Agency uh, has enrollment numbers. And so, um, you know, by going through the data for the past decade, um, you know, we showed in that report that while uh, non-classical charter schools in Texas, uh, I mean, they're still growing. I mean, they've grown a substantial amount for the past 10 years. Enrollment's doubled um, there. Okay. Um, but while that's been happening, um, you know, we also, with the data, uh, found that uh, among classical charter schools in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, enrollment growth was sevenfold, right? Wow. So the, the growth, you know, skyrocketed. I mean, so, and, and this is like not just a pandemic surge, right? I mean, it's kind of the steady, steady growth there. And so um, at least, you know, with that snapshot, you can kind of get some kind of sense of um, the state of the movement, you know, mm-hmm. how, how, how much growth is there, right? And um, you know, we did, we're doing a few um, uh, similar things, you know, involved with, uh, you know, Society for Classical Learnings, uh, just done their uh, thriving school study. Um, we're still churning out reports from that, but, you know, we released the first look report before their summer conference, uh, you know, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, we found, like, I, I think if I remember correctly, um, you know, of the 150, 140, 50 or so schools, that we surveyed, um, over one in five were less than five years old, right? Mm. And so, you know, you can can kind of did this bar graph of um, age of school, you know, put it into separate 
age categories and a lot of young new schools forming, right? And so, you know, these kinds of uh, figures and data snapshots, I think just gives us more compelling evidence that, hey, you know, these anecdotes that we're hearing, um, like the movement really is growing um, and it's all reflected uh, in, in this data. So, uh, you know, that's, so that's really one, one of the kinds of research. The other kind of, I mean, we can get into the other studies too, but, you know, the other kind of research is then to test, um, uh, you know, does, does classical pedagogy work, right? At least to, you know, do it empirically and find some mm -hmm. evidence for it to really bolster confidence we have in our claims. And so when you talk about the effectiveness research, um, what does that look like? Where, where are you going for that kind of information? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, the ideal study is to um, uh, run like a, a lottery study of um, schools. And then, you know, I mean, that's basically a gold standard research thing. And you get right, right. you can establish causality. I mean, this is what I actually put, um, uh, you know, actually the reason, just a quick aside, you know, the reason we have like school choice these days is because we did these randomized control trials mm -hmm. decades ago to to validate, like, you know, produce evidence that they work. Um, but anyway, you know, short of that, I mean, uh, you know, you, you alluded to earlier, just, uh, me partnering with, um, a couple local schools here. So, um, you know, with Anthem where I sit on the board also with, uh, Sager Classical Academy, which is just down the road in Siloam Springs, um, here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, so we've got two studies completed. Um, one is, uh, an evaluation of what happens when you integrate poetry into the <laughs> science curriculum. Um, and the other, which I'm going to release soon, we just finished the draft and we're going to write some other, other articles about it. Um, the other is uh, uh, what, what are the effects of, of reading historical drama on learning history? Um, oh. And so uh, I can tell you a little bit about these studies. So the first one, um, uh, you know, we, I mean, classical education, right? Hallmark of it. You know, we want our kids to like read beautiful poetry, read the great texts, right? And and alongside of that too is this question of how do we do science education classically? Um, yeah. How do we recover like you know natural philosophy and uh, get kids to to not just uh, you know reduce the world into just a bunch of um, uh, mindless formal rules, but like, you know, to love the world around them, see beauty in it, right? And so, uh, you know, what we did in that uh, study was we split up uh, kindergarten through second grade students in two groups. And for two weeks, one of the groups of students um, read poetry alongside the thing that they were learning in science. So, um like the first graders were learning about birds. And so um, the students that were doing poetry, uh, we curated poems about birds, right? So, you know, yeah. we did fun stuff like Edward Lear's, uh, you know, there was a there was an old man with a beard who said it was just <laughs> as I feared. You know, two owls and uh, a wren. Or, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm embarrassed that I'm, That's okay. I'm That's stumbling good. over it. But, you know, uh, and or like, you know, Emily Dickinson's, there's Bird Came Down the Walk. And, you know, the, what we wanted to... to uh, evaluate was um, does reading poetry enchant the students more, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we measured things like do they notice birds more in their everyday life, right? Do when they see a bird, do they notice its color? Do they you know notice characteristics of it? 
you know, kindergartners um, were studying the weather. Um, does reading poetry about the weather affect how they notice things about the weather? Um, you know, so like we we assigned Christina Rossetti's Who Has Seen the Wind. And, um, you know, later on, we then asked kindergartners, can you see the wind? You know, the, the kindergartners that got poetry, like said, well, I mean, technically you can't, but actually you can see it when the trees are you know, blowing, right? And that's all kind of in, in Christina Rossetti's poem, right? You know, who has seen the wind, neither you nor I, but when the trees are, oh boy, I'm, I'm really like messing up the, the poetry recitation here, but, um, uh, you know, right, this idea that uh, like they're, they're noticing and they're becoming enchanted, right, with the world around them. So we really, yeah. we found this in this study. And so it kind of validates, right, a lot of the, um uh, arguments, right, that we've been making about classical education, that, like, the kind of education we we give our students, it enchants them, right? It it, it inspires wonder, right? It, it gets them uh, hungry to learn about the world. Um, and so with this study, you, know, you kind of produce some data and evidence about it. Um, you know, and we found similar things, like, with with the, the history study. So just real quick, in, in this one, we, um, again, with Sager Classical Academy, uh, we want to know if um, student if if uh, history would become more alive to students if they read historical drama. And so, for the uh, Advent and Lent um, seasons, uh, some of the students read through plays of from Dorothy Sayers's *Man Born to Be King*. And um, you know, we measured a, a, a lot of things about you know whether they were able to contextualize history whether they knew um, details about those biblical historical accounts better, um, whether they were able to empathize with the historical figures more in that narrative. Um, and we found that they did, right? That reading historical drama um, did something uh, to these students where, you know, the stories became more alive um, to them. Um, they're able to kind of be more immersed into to what those stories are. So, um, you know, all these findings really, I think, are just evidence of the things like we want. We try to tell parents, right? Trying to tell other people to make a case for, for classical ed. Like this evidence, um, I think, just bolsters the arguments that that um, and claims that we've been making. Okay. Well, I'm I'm excited about this. I was poking around on the research page, um, and you know. Is there a place uh, or, or a way for the people to find out more or get involved with the research that's happening? Um, is there a way for schools to get involved in the research you're doing, things like that? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, so my, my contact information is there. So, uh, you know, feel free to email me. Um, uh, actually just hired a, a postdoc, uh, Sean Hadley, who actually was a former uh, school leader um, at Trinitas in, in Florida. And so he's actually joined the lab. Um, he'll be uh, uh, doing some work as well. Actually, he's going to be doing, we're, we're going to start doing some work on assessment. Um, and so Carrie oh, nice. uh, Eben at, at, at Sager yeah, yeah. Uh, has been been leading the charge on trying to do assessment differently. How do we assess classically yeah. uh, and, and avoid, uh, I mean, you know, the, the conventional way of grading just makes kids chase grades and, and it makes education utilitarian again, right? We're like, no, that's not what we want, right? So uh, right. There's this big question. How do we assess in, in ways that form 
kids well and teach them to love learning rather than grades, right? And so um, Sean's going to be uh, leading the charge um, to do some some research there. And so, you know, if you're involved in, in uh, or if you want to get involved um, with that project, just reach out to me. Um, you know, Sean's contact information and profile will be up there soon. So you can reach out to him. Um, but yeah, just reach out. You know, we're, we're looking for partners to 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 do research that's going to inform uh teaching learning and leadership um in the movement um yeah we'd love to 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 work with schools to to make you know in our in our pursuit mutual pursuit of excellence if you will okay well i'll make sure all we get all the contact information in the in the show notes too but yeah carrie's great she's a she's a graduate of our apprenticeship program as well yeah that's uh, right and so uh, i'm excited all the things she's doing up there at sager uh and in, in Silent Springs. So the the other thing I want to touch on briefly was um, you know, the the more the more um the more we tell our story, the more we're gonna get pushed mm. back. So I know that uh especially this spring there was kind of some some back and forth in kind of more mainstream media outlets. Yeah, sure. Uh, right. So let's if you could just kind of get into a little bit of kind of who is Yeah, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who who is um trying to discredit somebody with this research and, and, yeah. and, you know, what they have to say and that, those kind of things, just so people can be aware of this is what you're going to start hearing. And what's yeah. Back yeah. And you know, um, yeah. Gone are the days of flying under the radar. Um, right. You know, just, uh, yes. so yeah, actually, so this, this, uh, so this is a report that, yeah, this report that came out um, kind of at the same time as, as our study of the growth of uh, Texas classical schools um, completely, uh, um, Unintentional, right? I mean, we just happened to release the report um, right around the same time, and, and I think that you know, uh, the, the authors and, and people behind each report were unaware of the other. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, look, the the report, um, the pushback that you're referring to, essentially um, came out and said, um, "Got to watch out for classical schools now. Um, these are basically schools." Um, that are there to attract to attract white Christian nationalists um, and to let them do school and and get their kids, you know, indoctrinated in, in the values, right? That that you know, according to to that view, right? And so, um, you know, and that's the characterization um, uh, that 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 folks are painting with. Um, and it's nice that you know um, that the the Texas report we did came out at the same time because. You know, we have this all this data to 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 um, uh, kind of refute some of that, right? So, mm-hmm. um, which by the way, that other report, I mean, was mostly um, anecdotes. You know, they they dug through, um, uh, you know, kind of like journalists doing some digging of like figures and leaders we all know, and you know, friends of ours in the movement that have said something in the past that you know, taken out of context. And then it's like, Oh, I right, see, right. you know, guilt by association. Right. So, you know, there's that stuff. Um, but then like we have data, uh, to, to, you know, call that all into question, right. The, the claims right. into question. So, you know, for instance, is, is it true that, uh, classical schools are just attracting like white Republicans or, you know, white conservatives. Right. And, um, you know, in our Texas data, you know, the fastest growing, um, two fastest growing ethnic groups that are coming to classical schools are, are Hispanics and Asians. Um, that they're the ones 
that are coming to to uh, classical charter schools in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta like cause causes uh, it calls some of those claims into question, right? Uh, uh, you know, in our Texas data, we also surveyed um, parents who go to classical charter schools, um, and we actually asked them about their political affiliations. Um, and uh, I think I, I don't remember the exact breakdown. It's in the appendix of the report. Um, so while there were, uh, I think Republicans might have outnumbered Democrats by like four to one, um, the biggest group in there were political independents. Um, hmm. You know, I think I think I have to check the numbers um, that the, the group of political independents was around the same size, if not bigger, if, is my recollection, um, uh, of parents who identified themselves as, as Republicans, right? And so, um, you know, you're getting um, folks across different, you know, political, different political ideological stripes um, coming to classical schools, you know, and, and like even in the data too, we, we show that sure, um, you know, some parents are, are reacting to uh, you know some of the kind of progressive values that are um, uh, kind of finding a, a place in in traditional public schools these days. But you know, they're not running from something, right? A lot of these parents are actually running to something, right? They, that mm. they what they love about classical schools is this pursuit of truth, right? This pursuit of you know the 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 story the argument that we're that classical schools are making is that um you know the way to be truly happy right is to be virtuous right and to do that you need to know what truth is you need to know what wisdom is right and hmm. parents are running to that right they're not running away from like oh i just don't like what you know my neighborhood school is teaching about this or that right like yeah um these parents want something and you know even in some focus groups in focus group interviews um, you know, we found parents who didn't know what classical really was about. You know, they they found the school because their neighbor uh, was going there. And it seemed good. It seemed great. You know, and they come in and then they find that, wow, like this whole idea of virtue and happiness and wisdom. Like, I like this. Right. And so, <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're seeing this in the in the data that we're, we're getting, which, you know, I, I think. Look, I, I, we don't want to just completely dismiss the the pushback. I mean, you know, I think I think that that's um, you know, should spark some some soul searching and, and self evaluation. Um, uh, but at the same time, right? You don't have to, you know, fight fire with fire. You don't have to just say like, oh, it's their anecdote, and but you know, we have these anecdotes, and it's all of a sudden we have some like, you know, postmodern like whose story is true, you know, yeah, like, yeah. whatever, right? Like. You know, we have other means of, of trying to figure out what's what's going on, right? Um, you know, data, um, systematic data done by social science or anecdotes, like you know, these are all ways we have to a- access what's real, and um, let's use them. And, and in this case, I think um, it's helpful to uh, add the data we have to the conversation and and. You know, we can call into question just some of the accusations that that are there. Yeah, yeah that was one of the things I appreciated um, so much about the Cardis study, even before classical education got involved yeah. with it, is that it's it's not just evaluating specifically academic outcomes, right? It's it's not um, 
which is right. what you get from a lot of school research, right? A lot of school research is how many kids get into college, how much money yep. are they making? You know, sure, that was in that's in the CARDIS study, but that's not yep. the focus. The, the focus of the CARDIS study is really quality of life, like how many people are yep. actually happy <laughs> where yeah. they are at 25 and 30 and 40 with the life they have because, right. Right. you know, uh, and so, and then breaking that down into other into very specific factors, right? And or um being able to a lot of it too is being able to just be a healthy part of a society where everybody doesn't agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so that was one of the ones that was most fascinating to me when they did the information on the classical education students was that uh and we're talking about people who have you know been out of been out of these schools for quite some time, five, yep. 10, 15 years. So we kind of that first generation of classical education students in the renewal. And it was things like, you know, they they're able to hold on to their own values, yep. but they also have like the highest percentage of friends who they don't agree with, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Uh, compared to other, some of these other types of schools, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they, um, they have a, an ability to like disagree with people and still be in community with them, mm-hmm. <laughs> which to mm-hmm. me was a fascinating, a really fascinating turn and see, and seems to kind of push back against some of what you're just talking about Yeah, with the accusations, right? Like if it's a bunch of white nationalists, they don't tend to, those people don't actually tend to get along with, be able to get along with anybody else right. um, where that's just not the case. Right. When you look at the actual research on. Yeah. Classroom. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. You know, and, and I think at the same time, you know, that, that, uh, uh, you know, schools and, and movement ought not to become complacent. Right. Like, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, that research is, uh, you're going to have a new batch and cohort of graduates. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Into the future, um, that grow up in a different worlds, right. With, with more polarization, you know, the, the COVID cohort, you know, and, yes. um, uh, you know, with, with just things about media and, and so, um, really, you know, I think, I think we, we should be encouraged, um, that that's what's going on. And at the same time, um, uh, redouble just efforts like, you know, yeah, let's, let's keep up the good work. Um, mm-hmm. and let's, you know, make sure that, uh, uh, the graduates that come through are going to be a gift to the world. Well, thanks. I'm really, I, I'm really excited about the stuff that's coming out. Um, you know, the, especially as I think we're in the, we're in this, like I said, this next generation of classical education. I think some of the things we, like you mentioned, we're trying to figure out is what does it look like to teach, um, let's say STEM, type classes classically right especially when you talk about things that weren't taught in ancient you know in previous times Mm -hmm. they didn't Mm -hmm. didn't exist right like you can only go so far back and find out how people how you should teach calculus right it's a a newer discipline um uh same for a lot of engineering and so but these things were you can look at it but if you come at it from a humane perspective if you involve things like poetry and narrative um that those aren't divorced from the science and the math um, and it's not just us hoping that it'll, you know, when you have some data, you can say, oh, no, we can see, we can see that that kind of grounds them in the thing they're studying a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. Exciting stuff. I, I yeah. Think that, that's spot on. Well, thanks, Albert, for being with us. I hope we get a chance to talk again as more stuff comes out. Um, uh, and I look forward to seeing you some of the stuff this next year or so. All right. Cool, man. Well, thank you all for joining us again uh, on Quiddity as we refresh ourselves at Systems of Learning dug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at searcyinstitute.org. You can also join the Quiddity conversation on the Searcy Circle at searcy.circle.so. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Searcy Podcast Network.